0: production
1: on the Osiris Podcast Network
0: The crystals are vibrating, the turquoise jewelry is rattling, and the mirror ball is spinning here at DTM HQ. We are in the land of disco dead and the gears are only just starting to grind. 1978 is a needle drop away where the white lines and high times of the me decade play footsies with the voodoo economics and cocaine cowboys of the 80s. There's plenty of low times ahead, but powering through is just what the dead do. Hope you're powering through too. There's been a lot of impermanence lately. Could say that's the regular state of affairs, but doesn't make it any easier when it hits close to home. One, in particular, hits close to my former home. Of Burlington, Vermont, we lost a truly amazing woman named Monique Ford, who I shit you not was known and loved by the entire community from townie to expat. Monique was the kindest, most down to earth person I've ever met. And literally everybody who knew her felt the same way. She was a beacon of the city's nightlife and music scenes. Uh, actually a lot of the fish family counted her as their own. I met Mo when she was bartending at the old Three Needs when I was managing the record store in the basement on the same corner block, but her queendom extended to other legendary watering holes. She was also key staff at Higher Ground, which is a club with infinite connections to the jam and improvised music scenes. Mo loved people. She loved Ween, (laughs) Monique the Freak. I didn't know what to do with my grief, so I started dicking around in the studio. Uh, A tune emerged that felt so summery, like the warmest smile you ever saw in your life. Like Moe's smile, when literally anyone who knew her saw her, literally, anywhere. Like the eternal beach in your mind. A beach called Monique. And that's the song. It's a little cheesy, but so is the perfect summer day. We'll put it on the DTM soundtrack, but we're also going to debut it here at the end of the episode. Actually, it feels like the yin to the opening theme's yang, so maybe it'll become our permanent outro music. You know, like WKRP in Cincinnati. (laughs) That was for the old-timers. Anyway, this stuff is getting posted at deadtomeepod.bandcamp.com, so check it if you're interested. I am not Hawking Product, seriously. I just wanted to say that we should cherish our loved ones every day because we're all only here for a moment, and we don't know when that moment is up. We all end up letting go of everything, but... That's not as scary or even scary at all if you understand gratitude. To be grateful. And ultimately to be dead. Huh. Well, I guess it's time to talk about this here record shakedown street. Kevin Eduardo, let's do this. All right, man. We're using a new podcast software. Uh-huh. Uh And it gave us a countdown into the podcast. Down from six. And I also dropped my phone on the concrete here in the garage. Didn't break.
2: Brought to you by iPhone. (laughs) It's the new iPhone commercial. I'll
0: take that sponsorship. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so here we
1: are talking about Shakedown Street. Uh, We finally made it. Let me step in as a temperate voice on this one. And then we can hear Kevin's uh, righteous fury. (laughs) Well, righteous is one word for it. (laughs) There are some bad takes ahead. Well, it is DTM. Yeah. I think when people say the dead's albums suck, this, this is, this is the platonic, this is like reverse American beauty or working man's dead. (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah.
0: This and go to heaven, which Mm. follows it. Yeah. Um, I think that one is probably subject to more derision, but they're both Mm -hmm. disco dead albums or so-called disco dead albums. The difference between The Dead flirting with disco and any of the other bands that did around that time is that the one disco song on Shakedown Street, self-titled track, Shakedown Street, is a fucking awesome song. Yes. And it falls into a category I like to call blameless disco, mm-hmm. okay? So there are <laughs> certain bands that manage to get away with it. Okay. Uh, the Rolling Stones, Miss You. Oh. Blameless disco. Now, this next band get a lot of shit in general. The Eagles. They're great. They're a fucking great band. (laughs) Yeah, I don't care what the dude says. They're fucking great. And one of these nights is a blameless disco track. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Shakedown Street fits in that illustrious pantheon of non-sucky rock disco tracks from the 70s. Um, You know what doesn't, though? I was made for Loving You by Kiss. That's a flame and fire of shit that will never get a pass,
2: for me, anyway. I didn't share my notes with you, did I? No. Because that was
1: exactly my take.
0: Yeah. Great minds think alike, and so do ours.
1: <laughs> yeah, the hive mind. More like hive ass. Yeah. If you were to pinpoint a moment where the dead stopped trying in the studio, mm. you could make a really strong case for for this album being it. Yeah. Um, It's not that, you know, I think there are some really strong songs on here. There are a couple of interesting chances that they take with, like, France and Serengeti and and From the Heart of Me. Um, Yeah, but some of them are good songs, I think. The good songs that are on here, the versions on here are not interesting. There's no reason to seek them out, by and large, which is sort of in contrast to other moments. Um, Even in this kind of sort of muddled mid-70s period, there's a reason to seek out, you know, The studio version of like Help Slipknot or something like that. Yeah, or Scarlet Begonias. Yeah. Uh,
2: Remember, I actually like the album versions as much as the live versions, personally. Oh, yeah, I recall.
0: You like China Cat Sunflower. Uh, Yeah, I do. On record more than, say, live in Veneta, Oregon, 72, which is crazy. (laughs) But, you know, I guess it is a testament to what these guys can realize when they put their minds to it in the studio. Um Sounds like we kind of agree that that might not have been the case here. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I have come to recognize and embrace the fact that there is no one singular version of any of these songs. There is no one singular dead and that no matter how hard we try to put it in a box, you just simply can't do it. And that ambiguity, I think I mentioned it in the last episode, actually came as a life lesson to me you know the yep. messiness of just letting things be as they are and in that process you can really discover some magical shit uh you have to be willing to sift through a lot of maybe less magical shit yeah but in the end the experience is what matters and the experience of the dead is singular yep. and in terms of getting the show on down the road the whole shakedown period is what got them to egypt
2: and the Egypt thing was like the main impetus. Like Jerry had been working on this Jerry Band album at this studio, and wanted to get them all in there because like guys, we got to pay for this, right? You know, my my big question with this, and and for listeners who maybe just jumped in recently, I have been advocating all season that these albums are actually good. There, there is Some there's a, a very clear split in the dead community of the albums are not good, and the shows are good, and that's what you pay attention to. Yeah.
0: Well, it's the reason for the season. And you know what? That view that they're not good
2: is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I, I wholeheartedly believe it's not true. Until we get to this. Oh, here we go. Here we go. The main question I have is, what kind of world would we live in if this album was actually good? (laughs) Because it's it's not? It's It's not. It's not.
0: It's not great. It's not a great record. And, you know, like Ed said, even the best songs are not in their fully realized versions. Like Fire on the Mountain, for example. Real sweet spot for that song because Mount St. Helens is literally in my backyard. Anyway, we all know the real reason for Fire on the Mountain's existence is to be paired with Scarlet Begonias and those Celestial Live jams. Um, They did bring it to the studio. Uh, I think... As with all of the songs on this album, the band wanted that hit. Clive Davis wanted that hit, but they also wanted to party really hard with Lowell George from Little Feed, who'd been brought on as a producer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> on this one, there's a quote from a great quote from Mickey Hart here. It says, We were trying to sell out. Oh, let's make a single and get on the radio. Sure, we failed miserably once again. I mean, we could never sell out even if we tried. And we tried. (laughs) You know, I think they thought that Donna's soft rock
0: jams were the horse to bet on, which is why you have France on here with the steel drums. And it sounds like fucking Jimmy Buffett. Kevin, you should love it.
2: Maybe this will be like the next podcast, like exploring the catalog of Jimmy (laughs) Buffett. Over my dead body. And
0: listen, dude, we can barely get these episodes
2: out on time. (laughs) I am not adding another
0: podcast to the roster. Uh, Look, this is... A frustrating album because you could see how it could be good, right? You know, there's a handful of great songs on here. We've talked about some of them. And also the Lowell George thing. I mean, on one level, wow, what a brilliant idea to bring this genius from Little Feet in. On the other hand, hey, let's hook the band up with another unrepentant drug addict and throw them in a room for six months. Or yeah. And it's a shame that it didn't turn out as well as it could have because uh, a lot of great records came out this year and it would have been cool to have a great dead record along with some girls by the stones and this year's model by elvis costello and parallel lines by blondie and van halen one
2: the cars debut album
0: yeah and waiting for columbus by little (laughs) feet recorded in dc and sadly just a handful of weeks after shakedown came out Lil george died yeah but The real thing is like
2: seventy eight is a good year for music. It was a good year for the dead on the road. The fact that the material in those years live is so good confounds this even more. Yeah, and it's typical. Um, And you know they were trying to get out there with this album. I mean, they in hindsight they don't like the album at all. Right. But at the time they were really into it. And so, a song like France ends up like Pride to Cucamonga. They never play it. Cucamonga! Yeah, it's been played, it's literally been played twice, once yeah. in 1999 with, by Donna Jean's band, and once in 2019 by Phil Lesh and Friends. Like, that's it. <laughs> well, for me, it's maybe sad about Cucamonga,
0: but not so much about France.
1: So, let me ask everyone um, and the listeners to imagine what your first post pandemic show is going to be, right? Yeah. And so, just picture yourself. Outdoors or in a venue somewhere and the lights go out and the crowds excited. Yeah And there's that moment of just like oh, the bands coming on stage what's gonna happen mm-hmm. and you hear the opening chords to good Love and no. oh
0: god. No, it's my worst nightmare man. You'd make a good dungeon master <laughs> But really I, I can't stand that song. I can't stand it <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean it's it's an absolutely terrible opener for an album and and it it really for me reinforces the idea like it just feels like what they were doing is trying to in a sort of pre-internet attempt to court casual fans they were just trying to get a bunch of songs that they were going to play a lot on a record so that people would know them and would be able to sing along when they saw them live
0: yeah yeah the uh lean back barbecue audience like parrot heads you know Kevin <laughs> honestly the, some of the writing on this record like the lyrics are really pretty powerful um, and surprise surprise I tend to like the Hunter penned stuff best
1: Hunter has really strong moments on this I mean Shakedown Street despite the sort of disco gloss is sort of a proto anti-gentrification uh, yeah. screed perhaps yeah. um, Fire on the Mountain is sort of anchored around like the image of a sad session guy you know the sort of sad barroom player mm-hmm. um, dead to the core and Stagger Lee is just a fantastic and whimsical take on what had been a pop hit. And yeah. so I think Hunter is sort of firing on all cylinders here. And it's it's kind of a shame to see such great songs um, put to such terrible use. <laughs> oh, man
0: yeah well i like some of the versions here i i think the version of fire is just fine i mean obviously yeah. like i mentioned before it doesn't do what we expect it to but i've given up on uh thinking that the grateful dead are going to do what i expect them to yeah, right at this point maybe i don't want that
2: yeah. because i committed to buying all the albums that we uh talk about uh i will own this album sadly but i am looking for like if anybody has a like what's below like very good minus. <laughs> <laughs> like double plus, un Just send me like something that costs 50 cents and I can... You I can... want a demastered eight-track copy of Shakedown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. 50 right. cents. Have other of you seen the uh, SNL performance from this era? Fuck yeah, the one that was booked by our buddy Al Franken. Yeah, yeah, and I think what's funny about this is how... Kind of clean they look. (laughs) Well, they have showers in the dressing rooms. We figure in by seventy eight, they're run down, they're ragged, they're they're deep in the throes of like cocaine and everything else. Where's the lie? (laughs) But they get on Saturday Night Live and they look kind of clean or you, know, you know at least wholesome wholesome yeah. i was gonna say because they present themselves as almost like this new hip band from california <laughs> yeah the, the roller coaster has gone over the hill and it's like halfway down by that point yeah. like they're just like they're riding this ride out And <laughs> yeah,
0: they're riding that train high on cocaine which they did play on snl yes
2: what i wonder like this clean band on tv doing this stuff is like what what do we think like they could have done to actually make this a good album that doesn't involve like swapping out producers
0: (laughs) well you know i'd start with shakedown street
2: start shakedown street yeah yeah
0: you know shakedown street serengeti is pretty cool for what it is uh you know a little drum foray with the two drummers and then into fire on the mountain and i think that's fine funny thing is side two starts with i need a miracle and uh that too is one of my Absolute all-time loathed Grateful Dead songs, right? Like yeah. this is the kind of thing that I associate heavily with those kids uh, in my high school, with the white caps, yeah. you know, who all discovered the Grateful Dead at once and went to the '80s shows to party, mm-hmm. you know, um, or the kind of like tour rat, yeah. you know, the the totally like vacant gaze, kind of like miracle, miracle, you know, kind of thing. And I didn't really want to have anything to do with either of those polarities uh, especially at the time but now i look at i need a miracle a little different it's uh like a proto hell in a bucket or something it's kind of bobby reveling in this archetype of bobby that's uh, co-created by him and john perry barlow i guess i just didn't realize how tongue-in-cheek that was back then and um, Mm -hmm. i kind of like it now yeah
2: right at this point at this album is when jam band albums got like the reputation for sucking <laughs> right here really <laughs> like like legitimately because it was like you could not get or like terrapin but it's a great album but like this you put it on and it's like what yeah I just saw these guys two weeks ago. <laughs> right, this fucking sucks. Yes, I mean, like, can you
0: imagine coming from you know a seventy-seven or seventy-eight show and putting this on <laughs> right. as your right. first dead record? <laughs> You'd be like, that acid was pretty right. good.
2: Like, it had me wondering, like, what from this era from them is like missing? Well, you know, if you dropped
0: a couple tracks from this record, like you could drop "Good Lovin," you could drop "France." Uh, I'd keep from the heart of me. Well, that uh, there you, you go. Could drop all new minglewood blues yeah. or i would anyway um, i'd definitely keep if i had the world to give but like look we've talked about this before there are a ton of amazing grateful dead songs that ended up on the first garcia solo record and mm-hmm. bob weir's <laughs> ace
2: like what if ace didn't exist and exactly. some of those songs Exactly
0: that's what i'm saying.
2: And and people try to a lot to blame like this and other stuff in the dead catalog on the studio and stuff but to be clear this is what the dead wanted to do. It didn't yeah. turn out like they wanted it. <laughs> right. It's what they wanted to do.
0: Right. These songs, these specific songs are there for a reason. For better, for worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mostly worse. <laughs> but look, before you send in the hate mail, uh, there are songs on this record that I genuinely adore. But I wonder, if I had the world to give... Why isn't that song more revered in the community of fans who love a good Hunter Garcia ballad? Because I am definitely in that community.
1: Mm. You know, first of all, it doesn't have a sense of tragedy about it in the way that like a Mission in the Rain or like an Althea or... Now, um,
0: here's where I am going to get hate mail. I don't like Althea as much as if I had the world to give.
1: you probably are. I think it's a really sweet song. It borders on like mawkish, yeah you know, it's just that closing couplet, only if I were your world would I be able to give the world to you or something like yeah. that like it's just it's it's really sweet, yeah, it is I think Garcia and Hunter said that they set out to write like a sort of traditional fifties ballad, and yeah. good job. <laughs> I think they nailed it. Right. Um, I think though what it lacks is is that that sort of thing we've come to expect. From the Garcia Ballads, which is like a core likely heroin driven sense of loneliness, yeah, Jerry's big empty, yeah, Stella Blue
0: <laughs> shit like that, mm-hmm. yeah, but that's exactly the kind of ballad I tend to like, yeah, um, I listen to you know pretty much music from the seventies and the nineteen forties, actually, um the fifties are cool too, but <laughs> the forties crooners are kind of where it's at for me, and I know Jerry grew up with all of that shit too, actually uh. In his mom's bar on the jukebox. Yeah. So anyway, there's songs on here I really love, you know, for any shakedown stands who are still with us.
1: <laughs> I think people aren't going to listen past the Alfie. I hate.
0: <laughs> well, hate's a strong word and I don't think I actually used it, but I get why people love that song. Uh, it's a great vehicle for Jerry solos. It's got that slinky ass groove. Uh, the lyrics are you know, pretty deep stuff from Hunter talking to Garcia. So maybe I do like it and I won't be getting any hate mail. You will from me.
2: I just texted you. Oh,
0: good. You know, there may be songs on here that we don't like. There may be versions of songs on here that we don't prefer but either way a big chunk of these tunes some of them were already in the set some of them found their way there they stayed there
2: mm-hmm. it's just an odd artifact of history that the songs from their worst two albums dominate their set list for the rest of their career <laughs> yeah it's super dead yeah <laughs> yes
0: you know i think for a guy like me who for reasons of
2: assholedom
0: uh <laughs> didn't participate in the dead culture back when it was you know a real thing Uh, Some of these songs are, you kind of have to be there. You got to be in the stadium or the arena.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll never enjoy Not Fade Away the way someone who... Saw it live does. Exactly. On show recordings, it's not appealing to me to have to listen to like several bars of, you know, the band and fans singing to each other. It's <laughs> yeah. nice.
0: Yeah. And arguably, it's maybe the most important thing. Right. Right. And it kind of goes against our thesis, but this is a live band in rapturous communion with its audience. Right.
2: It's the first time it happened, I think, in history.
0: And here's another first in history first airing of the brand new song, A Beach, called Monique. You'll find this as part of the still-emerging Dead to Me soundtrack at deadtome.bandcamp.com. Love you, love everybody. Until next time.